put your hands together. It's so great to be here on today. Amen. Let me give all of you a big air hug. Haven't seen you in a while. We're grateful to be in the presence of God today. We want to welcome all of you who are joining us here and those who are joining us online. This is a great day to be alive. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, and I'm going to start reading at verse number 24. The Gospel of Mark chapter 7, starting at verse number 24. And the word of the Lord reads like this. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. We've been talking about straight up sayings from Jesus, and today's straight up saying is compassion for all. Say that with me, compassion for all. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. Thank you for this time that we gather together. And we're so excited about your word and how it speaks continually to our lives. And God, we pray that as you brought us here today, that you will speak to us one more time from the wonderful and inexhaustible riches of your holy word. Make us better for having come here today and allow these moments to give your name, which is worthy, glory, honor, and praise. And we thank you for the privilege in Jesus. Jesus' name, amen, amen. I don't know if you got to see this story, but just a couple weeks ago, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, you all will remember him, he used to play for the Miami Heat, was in a jewelry store, and he overheard the conversation of a young man who was at the counter. The young man at the counter wanted to buy an engagement ring for the woman he loved, but he didn't have enough money for the ring. And so he was making arrangements to put the ring on layaway. And Shaquille O'Neal overheard this conversation and had compassion on the young man, pulled out his credit card and said, here, I'm going to pay for the whole bill. Somebody say amen. Well, just a week before that, there was another story in New York City. There was an Asian woman in front of a luxury condo building, and she was getting beaten up, and the story says that there were people standing all around, and nobody did anything to help her. Wow. Let me ask this question. Have you ever needed help, and nobody reached out to help you? 
Have you ever been criticized by someone who didn't even know your story? Have you ever been misunderstood by people who are different from you? Have you ever met somebody who just thinks they are right all the time? Have you ever had great news, but nobody else got excited and had joy along with you? It just seems like there are more of the second kind of story than there are the first kind of story these days. It was a recent research poll that showed that the levels of empathy have fallen to by 48% in our country, by 48% from 1979 to 2009. And this suggests that there is a declining empathy producing an age of anger and irritability in our society. Well, empathy is the stepping stone to compassion. And compassion is what we want to talk about here on today. See, many people have pity. They'll hear about something that happened in somebody's life, and they'll have pity. Pity says that I acknowledge that you are suffering. Some people move and have sympathy. Sympathy is the next step, and it says, uh, you're suffering, and I care. Empathy is one step farther than that. Empathy sees you suffering, and empathy says, you're suffering, and I feel it myself because I know exactly what you're going through. But compassion is one step farther. Compassion says that I see that you're suffering and I realize something terrible is happening to you, but I not only feel it, I want to know what can I do to help you in this terrible situation. See, it's one thing to have pity or sympathy or empathy. It's something else to have compassion. Compassion literally means suffering together. Compassion is a feeling of deep sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire, listen to this, to alleviate the suffering. And when we lose our sense of compassion, we become ice cold and fear and anger and hurt build up inside all of us and the society around us. In life, we all need compassion. And Jesus illustrates in this particular story we're going to look at today what the life of compassion ought to look like. It's an interesting story. It just kind of falls out as we move here in the seventh chapter of Mark's gospel. And so the first thing I want to say about this is we are all straight up in need of compassion. We all need it. It starts out, it says that he went up and departed there to the region of Tyre and entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. But he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman in the story, she was not sick. 
She was not broken. She didn't have anything personally going wrong in her life. And so when she came to Jesus, she didn't really come for herself. She came because she had compassion, a compassionate feeling for her daughter who was in need. Uh, you parents ought to understand what I'm talking about. The old folks used to tell me when I first had children, they said that there would come a day when they will move off your knee and on to your heart. You get the idea? So when they're real little, you bounce them on your knee, you know where they are all the time and you can take care of them. But when they get older and they got uh, ideas and plans of their own, they move on and, and then you worry about them and you want the best for them, but you can't always be there. I remember when my daughter was in college and, and when she would call me up every now and then, she would call me in the middle of the night. You know, when the phone rings in the middle of the night, there's got to be a problem somewhere. And whenever she would call, I would know something was wrong when I would hear this. Dad, that long, that long dad told me that there's a problem on the other end of the phone. And so whatever it was, you know, I want to fix it. I'm, 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 I'm her father. I love her. And it's not good enough for me to say, I feel what you're going through. I want to do whatever I can to straighten out the problem. That's just how parents are. And so that's how this woman was too. And so her daughter had a problem. She had a feeling of about this problem, but she also wanted to do whatever she needed to do in order to fix the problem her daughter was having. So when people are in need, this is what we find out, when people who are in need hear about Jesus, they bring their needs to him. That's an important thing. When people who are in need hear about Jesus, they bring their needs to him. Why? Because they have heard so many great things about him. They have heard how he is a healer and a helper and a comfort and a guide. And so when people hear about Jesus, they naturally bring their needs to him. That's what it says in verse 25. Instead, immediately after hearing about him. And look at the gospel of Mark. In chapter 1, the man with the leprosy heard. In chapter 2, the four of friends with the paralytic heard. In chapter 3, the large crowd heard. In chapter 5, the woman who was suffering heard. In chapter 6, at Gennesaret, it said the whole crowd of people heard. And every time people heard about Jesus, what did they do? They brought their issues to him. Why is that? Because Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17 reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When people get the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to hear who he is, is, to hear what he said, to hear what he can do, to hear how he can change a life, people start coming to him. And that's a great thing. And so that's what we see happen in, in verse 25. She came, she heard, and what did she do? She fell at his feet. And so I just want to suggest to anybody who has a need in here today that there are two things right there you ought to do when you hear about Jesus and you want to bring your need to him. She did two things. She called and then she fall. And so call on Jesus in prayer and fall before him in worship. That's what she did here. She called on him and then she went to him and fell before him in worship and, and gave her her heart and her needs to him. Now, Matthew tells this same story. 
And when Matthew tells the story, he tells it a little bit different. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 23, it says that she was calling and the disciples got irritated by the fact that she kept on calling after Jesus. And the disciples said, Matthew 15, 23, send her away because she is calling after us. But she was not. Do you see what the disciples said? The disciples put themselves in there, and they thought that they were important enough for people to call on them. But the truth is, she was not calling on us. She was not calling on the disciples. She was calling on Jesus because she knew that Jesus had the authority and the power to be able to do something about her circumstance. And when people understand who Jesus is, they'll call on him. See, if we need finances, we don't call on somebody who's broke. If we need direction, we don't call on somebody who's lost. If we need joy, we don't call on somebody who's depressed. And if we need loving, we don't call on somebody that doesn't care. But aren't you glad that Jesus has all of those? He has the cattle on a thousand hills. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. He says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be open unto you. Call on him. So the truth is we are all in need, huh? Give an air high five to somebody close to you and tell you you are in need. Second, we are all straight up ineligible for compassion. Verse number 26. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. This is the problem. We all have needs, but the truth is, if we were to tell the truth today, we're all in, ineligible. None of us deserve the tremendous grace that God offers us. She had six, at least six strikes against her. I'm just, in, just in this text, six. See, she might have had more. But in this text, she had six strikes against her. Her gender, she was a woman. Back in those days, I'm not talking about now, but back in those days, that was a strike against you. Her religion, because she was a Gentile instead of a Jew. Her ethnicity was against her. She was a Syrophoenician, in fact, more specific, and that really just kind of determined the region where she was from, the Syrio-Phoenician Peninsula, but she was also, Matthew says, more specifically, she was a Canaanite, and so her ethnicity was against her. Her origin was against her. She was from the area of Tyre and Sidon. You take your own Bible study time and look those up. They were a wicked, immoral cities. So it would be like saying she was from the worst place in Miami. So you, you determine wherever that is. But wherever that is, that's where she was from. In fact, uh, God had cursed in Matthew eleven twenty one. He had cursed Tyre and Sidon. It was so bad there. She had a problem she couldn't fix. Her little daughter had an unclean spirit, and that meant that her, that her posterity or her future was all messed up. And on top of all of that, she was just plain annoying. It was, that's right there in the text. It's in the text. It says she was asking, and, and the fact that the construction was asking could be translated, kept asking, so she didn't just ask one time, Jesus, help my daughter. The, the point is she kept on asking. 
She kept on asking and asking and asking and asking and asking. You know how that is. Some of y'all got somebody like that at home who just keeps on asking the same old question over and over and over again. She was just plain annoying. But she was annoying because she had a purpose. She was annoying because she had a need. She was annoying because she was desperate for help. She was annoying because she knew that the one she was calling on that day was able to do something about it. So she came, she cried, she called, because she needed compassion. So, and so to, G, to, to her, Jesus now turns and makes a straight-up statement that sounds outrageous to our 21st century ears. He says in verse 27, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Man, if Jesus had tweeted that out today, whoo, think of the backlash he would have gotten. Cancel culture would have eaten him up, right? Because people now don't even, we don't really even want to try to understand one another. We just want to jump to our own conclusions about everything that everybody else is thinking and doing. And so what's happening here? Because we already know Jesus. We know Jesus is a good man. We know Jesus is sinless perfection. We know Jesus is the son of the almighty God. We know that he is nothing but love, nothing but the truth, and nothing but help and compassion. And so how in the world does this statement come from Jesus? And I want to suggest that Jesus is trying to teach two things as he makes this statement. One is that when he says, let the children be fed first, He's trying to make the point that his ministry at this particular time was to the Jews first. Just think about it in the larger picture. Since the beginning of creation, no, not the beginning of creation. Since before the beginning began, when God was only here and God was in conversation with God, God, when there was no earth or moon or stars and sun, already had laid the plans of salvation for a sinful world. And so in God's eternal plan, God created the world, and then he called on Abraham to carve out a nation. Later on, he gave 10 consecrated commandments to Moses so that the nation would learn how to live before him. Through all of this, he was in the process of teaching us our need for him because one day, down 42 generations, he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin and laid in a manger. And the point is that first he had to demonstrate to us our need for salvation and our need to be a people of his own. And after that, the salvation once illustrated in Israel could be then uh, franchised to the entire world. We get to see this in the writings of Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes 
first to the Jews, but also to the Greeks. You hear that? First to the Jews as an example, but also to the Greeks. And in, in John chapter 1, verse number 11, it says, He, talking about Jesus, came unto his own, and his own received him not. But verse 12 says, But to as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so Jesus came into the world in order to fulfill the prophecy and to show the fulfillment fulfillment of his salvation through God's covenant nation Israel but his intention was never to keep his salvation only for Israel his intention was to share his salvation with the entire world that's why John says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life aren't you glad about that that means it includes you and me and everybody else. Second thing Jesus was trying to teach here is that he wanted them to know he has compassion for all. See, they did not always speak gently in those days. Social politeness and political correctness were something totally different in the time and culture in which Jesus lived. And you can't always impose, superimpose our American, 21st century American mindset on the biblical time set and culture and come out with the right answer. And so I, you gotta start thinking in their time and culture and then translate it into ours. So we have to remember that Mark was framing his gospel and writing for Gentile converts. Not only did the Jews call the Gentiles dogs, this was just common, but the Christians also did. So it wasn't just a, a Jew thing, it was everybody. The Christians called the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ dogs. And so it was common part of their vernacular, like it or not, it was. And today is still an insult. If you go to the Middle East and call somebody a dog, it's still an insult. And most of the time here in America, if you call somebody a dog, it's still an insult. Well, unless your name is Snoop Dogg, and then, you, then you're just making money off of it. You see what I'm saying? So the word, it's interesting here. The word Jesus used, though, for dog is not the word dog. The word he uses as he makes this statement, which was common in their hearing at that particular time, is really the word puppies. So, so as Jesus makes this statement in such an awkward way, I'm sure every head in the room whipped around and said, what in the world? Because he was saying a familiar phrase in a way that it wasn't supposed to be spoken. It would be like saying, look before you jump. Or the grass is always greener in your neighbor's lawn. Or spill the salt and shake it over your rotator cup. All of these communicate the same thing as the normal statement, but all of these are spoken in a way that we aren't used to hearing them said. 
And if somebody said these familiar phrases in this unfamiliar way, what would we do? We would perk up and say, hold on, something's wrong with them because they don't know how we talk about this. And so in order to get their attention, Jesus uses a familiar phrase, but he uses it in another way in order to strike up a conversation because Jesus is always trying to teach something. After all, you know, not everybody loves dogs. I get single amen on that. <laughs> but not everybody loves dogs, but everybody loves a puppy. Huh? Who can resist the love of a little puppy? And so as Jesus turns this around, here Jesus communicating that even though he is partially borrowing this harsh phrase from the day, he is teaching something new because he is not he is not just the uh, just the good. It is not just for the good people, uh, but those who are low down, dirty, no good, shameful, broken dogs. He is not just the savior for those who show up at the synagogue, but he is the savior for those who are on the outs. He is not just a savior for the rich, but he is the savior for the poor. He is not just the savior for the Jews. He is the savior for the Gentiles, and he is going to have compassion for all. We all need his compassion in our lives. The third thing I see is that Jesus offers Straight up, incredible compassion. Look at verse number 28. It says, but she said to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Even the dogs. So you can't, you can't mess with that. She, she, she now turns Jesus' statement around and, and reminds him that even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. Compassion for all, his compassion for those who are, who are counted out. Look at it. She doesn't get mad. She doesn't, she doesn't, her need was too great for that. She recognized that there was a spiritual loophole that she could still get some compassion through. The Old Testament, remember, required that those who owned and harvested the crops in the field had to leave, always had to leave some for the poor so that they could come and glean the fields later on so that the poor could always have enough to eat. She was recognizing that even in the Old Testament law, it was never right, never fair for the rich to take everything. The rich always had to leave some in the field so that the poor could always eat what was left over in the field. She knew as a Gentile, this rule applied to her. And so she says, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from under the table. And so all I want to say is thank God for for the crumbs. Come on. Thank God for the crumbs. So some of y'all, you don't understand crumbs and you get rid of crumbs and you think crumbs are a nuisance and you don't like crumbs. But I grew up where we valued crumbs. huh? My mother could take the crumbs of the bread and she would make a stuffing out of it that would fill us up. She would take the end pieces and make bread pudding. She would take the stale pieces of bread and, and let them get even harder and cut them up and make them into croutons. She would take the flour 
And with just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, she would make some biscuits and some white gravy. Uh, how many of y'all know what white gravy is? If you don't know what white gravy is, you haven't been poor in your life. And, 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 and she would take the crust of the bread and the crust would become a thickening agent for stews and sauces. You see, there's always a blessing in the crumbs. Don't, don't you ever give up on the crumbs. There's a blessing in the crumbs. And I can say just off of my crumbs testimony, like David said, once I was young, now I'm old. And one thing I've never seen is the righteous forsaken nor his seed beg for bread. If we can just get the crumbs of God, if we could just get the dew drops of God, that ought to be enough. Remember one time Moses wanted to see God's face and God told Moses, you couldn't stand to see my face. And so God said, I'm just going to give you the crumbs of my presence. I'm just going to let you see the backside. And when he just saw the backside of God, it said Moses' face began to shine with the glory of of God. Just the crumbs of God is more than enough. And so there's compassion for every person who will surrender. Jesus told her, because you said this, she said, you're, you go home because your child is healed. And when she went back home, she found it just like Jesus said, her child was healed. Here, God speaking in Exodus 33 and 19, he says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whoever I want to be gracious and I will have compassion to whomever I want to have compassion. And so he is reminding us in this text that God wants to have compassion on every single person on this planet. It doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter where they've been, doesn't matter what kind of mess they've been into, that kind of matter what trouble they are, doesn't matter what color they are, doesn't matter what school they went to or didn't go to, doesn't matter where they live, God wants compassion for every single person. Let me see if I can show you this in a larger context, that, that, in, that this passage is in the middle of five stories where Jesus is talking about food. In chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000 and collects the crumbs. In the beginning of chapter 7, there's a discussion over whether or not crumbs could defile a person. In, in, in chapter 8, he feeds 4,000, and what does he do? Collects the crumbs. And in chapter eight, later in chapter 8, he said, you better watch out what crumbs you eat. Make sure you don't eat the crumbs of the Pharisees. Why is that? Because we think that it takes a lot in order to make a lot. But you've got to remember that God only needs a little to make a lot. And God can work with a crumb to fill up everything you need. Only, it takes only a little. And so that's why he says all the little dogs only need little crumbs. Uh, the centurion said, I only need a little word. The word, woman with the issue of blood said, God, it just takes a little touch. The widow who is at the grave says, gave, said, I just want to give a little offering. The ten virgins just needed a little oil. Elijah just asked for a little cake. David just used a little stone. The world just needs a little love. Today just needs a little peace. Our lives just need 
need a little joy and tomorrow just needs a little bit of hope. And the truth is, you all need to receive the compassion of Christ and you can have the compassion of Christ with just a little bit of faith. Just a little bit of faith. Trusting him makes everything all right. We keep looking for big stuff to happen. We keep looking for big signs and big words and big experiences. But the truth is God works in little things and little ways. And even right now, if you felt like this woman desperate and in need, all you need to have a relationship with the one who has compassion for all is just a little bit of faith. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I wonder today, I wonder today if there's anybody listening to my voice today who feels desperate and in trouble like this woman. And maybe you have been looked over and passed by and hurt by others. And you wonder if there is somebody who would show compassion on you. Not just feel sorry, but step in to help. And that's exactly what God does for us. He came to this world to step into our lives and help us. And you can have him in your life with just a little bit of faith. God makes it so easy that it sounds wrong. He says simply, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Just a little bit of faith. You don't have to understand everything there is to understand about the Bible. You don't have to know why we do everything we do in church. All you got to have is a little bit of faith. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart before, you're not even 100% sure what that means. If you would just today pray with me to receive him in your heart, you will be saved. And God will step into your life with compassion. Not just to feel bad with you, but to help you. And I wonder if there's somebody who needs Jesus in their heart and life today. I want you to bow and pray with me right now. And if you sense the Spirit of God speaking to your heart today, if you recognize that I really do need Jesus in my heart, I've been struggling with all these things. I've been feeling like I've been rejected and pushed aside. I feel like nobody cares. I want you to know today God cares, and all you've got to do is call on him. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life before, whether you're in the sanctuary or in your home, I want to ask you just to raise your hand as a simple act of faith right now. Raise your hand right where you are and say, God, I am in need. And by this simple act of faith, I want you to come into my heart and I want you to be my God. And I want you to show love, that love and compassion for me and help me, God, to be the kind of person I ought to be. And if you prayed that today, the Bible says that God did it for you today. Today. And we're so glad that God does that. 
And we're so glad for each one of us who uh, have already embraced him as Savior and the Lord. And friend, if you made that decision for Jesus Christ today, would you just take a moment and text to CF Miami these numbers, 313131. Real easy. You can't forget it. CF Miami, text 313131. Thank you, my friend. We're so grateful for each one of you all, and I'm grateful for each one of you. I know that God has been showing his compassionate love on Miami through the Christ Fellowship Congregation, and that's why I love God, and I love you, Christ Fellowship 